the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Points, and this is SRN News. WTPN, Pinellas Park. Listen closely. The answer is profound in one sense, but simple in another sense. The answer is this. It's because the Bible doesn't end in Genesis 2. It doesn't end in Genesis 2 with Adam and Eve living happily ever after. That only happens in Disney films. The story of Genesis continues into chapter 3. And it is here in Genesis 3 where Adam and Eve commit the first sin. And because of their disobedience to God, the entire human race falls and is plunged into sin, and as a result, all of their descendants, all of their their children are destined to become rebellious sinners. So, what happened? It isn't like God gave Adam and Eve a complex set of rules to follow. It's kind of like those funny, I don't know what they're called, the, the, the memes that say you only had one job, and then they have a picture of an upside-down label or a sign or something. But the consequences of Adam and Eve's failure were not one bit funny. They were so horrible, in fact, that we still suffer from them today. They broke everything when they brought sin into the human condition and corrupted God's perfect creation, making everything harder for everyone, including our marriage relationships. But before we get all judgmental with them, let's remember that we'd have done the same thing. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Our study topic is marriage. We just finished looking at Genesis chapter 2 and the wonderful situation Adam and Eve enjoyed in the garden. They really had it made, didn't they? Ah, but it didn't end there. The story of Adam and Eve does not have a happy ending. Despite their perfect relationship with each other, with God, and with their environment, They fell for Satan's lies and chose to believe him rather than their creator. It's sad to have to do so, but it's time now for us to move on from the glories of Genesis 2 to the disaster of Genesis 3, as Pastor Steve explains why our marriages are not what they should be. This morning we continue our study on what the Bible teaches concerning marriage. And what we've been learning over the past few weeks is that God originally designed marriage for our benefit. He designed it for our welfare. That is to say, he created the institution of marriage for our good. He created it with our best interests in mind. Now, we know this is the case because we read in Genesis 2.18 concerning the first man, Adam, that God said it wasn't good for the man to be alone. And so out of the kindness of his heart, the Lord gave Adam exactly what he needed to make his life more complete and more satisfying. He created Eve to be his companion and partner in life and to help him in areas where he wasn't strong, where he was inadequate. And then after giving Eve to Adam, we read that God gave specific instructions about how, note this, all husbands and wives were to relate to each other. 
Notice Genesis 2.24, which is a key and critical statement on marriage for all of us to understand and to follow. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, as we mentioned last week, in this statement, God is inserting an editorial comment into the story of Adam and Eve. And what he's doing is he's giving us a timeless truth intended for all married couples to follow. And this timeless truth, he tells us, is that when a man and a woman get married, they are to be totally committed to each other by making their relationship with one another. Note this, it is to be their highest priority the highest priority of all human relationships. And that's why God says that when we get married, we are, he says, to leave our parents in the sense that we're no longer to look upon them as the most important people in our lives. Up to this point, they've been, but not when you get married. When you get married, you are really promising your partner that you are giving him or her your undivided loyalty and faithfulness by clinging to them through the good times as well as the bad times in life with a devotion that never is to end. Now listen very carefully because this is one of those key biblical truths about how to have a healthy marriage, but sadly it is a truth not always heeded even by believers in Christ. To have a good marriage, you must make a conscious effort to make sure that your marriage partner is more important to you than your parents, more important to you than your relatives and friends, more important to you than even your children and grandchildren. For a man, his wife must be the individual that he treasures the most in life. He he must value her opinions and her approval above everyone else's. For a wife, her husband is to be the one individual that she treasures most in life, and she must value his opinion and his approval more than anyone else's. And if this has not been the case in your marriage, then you must repent. You must repent. You must turn from your sin. You must change your thinking about this and begin to make the necessary adjustments to do what God says. Otherwise, you will destroy your marriage. Now, folks, the reason that God gives for the marriage relationship to be the priority relationship in life is this. It's it's all spelled out here in verse 24. When a man and a woman get married, God does something to them that is unique and does not exist in any other human relationship on earth. He joins them together so that the two of them actually are fused together and they become one. You see, in that solemn moment, at the end of the wedding ceremony, when the minister pronounces you husband and wife, God actually, at that moment, unites you in a mysterious kind of union so that you literally become one flesh with your spouse. So what Adam said of Eve, that she was bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh, that's true of all husbands and wives. And that's why at the end of verse 24, we read, and they shall become one flesh. This is actually a statement that's referring to a married couple's physical intimacy 
which is a celebration, note this, of their relational intimacy of being one. In other words, every time a husband and a wife engage in sexual relations, they are demonstrating, expressing the fact that God has joined them together and made them one outside of the bedroom as well as inside the bedroom. That's why the chapter closes with an unashamed and unembarrassed statement about Adam and Eve's physical intimacy, saying that the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So ladies and gentlemen, what we have discovered then from these verses in Genesis 2 is that God originally designed marriage to be a blessing for husbands and wives, something that he intends to be wonderful satisfying as men and women complete each other and become the best of friends who are committed to each other as companions for life. This is the way God created marriage to function. He created it to be a delight beyond all other human delights. So the question is this, what went wrong? Obviously something went wrong. Something has gone wrong because marriage, which God created for our good, has become such a painful experience to so many couples. There is no other relationship on earth that has the potential of causing as much anguish and heartbreak as marriage. What begins with a joyous, wonderful celebration of a wedding ceremony on the best day of your life, surrounded by your family and dearest friends, so often deteriorates and just ends, causing unbelievable hurt and misery. An anonymous writer penned the following very sad words about a loveless marriage in a poem entitled Walls, because it it conveys the walls and the barriers, the barricades that so often go up between husbands and wives as their marriage dies a slow death. Here's the poem. Their wedding picture mocked them from the table. These Two whose minds no longer touched each other. They lived with such a heavy barricade between them that neither battering ram of words nor artilleries of touch could break it down. Somewhere between the oldest child's first tooth and the youngest daughter's graduation, they lost each other. Through the years, each slowly unraveled that tangled ball of string called self as they tugged at stubborn knots, each hiding his search from the other. Sometimes she cried at night and begged the whispering darkness to tell her who she was. He lay beside her, snoring like a hibernating bear, unaware of her winter. She took a course in modern art, trying to find herself in colors splashed upon a canvas and complaining to other women about men who were insensitive. He climbed a tomb called the office, wrapped his mind in a shroud of paper figures and buried himself in customers. Slowly, the wall between them rose, cemented by the mortar of indifference. One day, reaching out to touch the other, they found a barrier they could not penetrate. And recoiling from the coldness of the stone, each retreated from the stranger on the other side. For when love dies, it is not in a moment of angry battle, nor when fiery bodies lose their heat. It lies panting exhausted, expiring at the bottom of a wall it could not scale. Now, tragically, what this poem expresses is is the feeling of so many couples. Isolation, aloneness in marriage. That's become the experience of many husbands and wives. Men and women who once loved each other dearly 
and have the highest of hopes for a successful and enduring marriage on their wedding day now find themselves looking at their spouse and feeling so distant and aloof from them. So I ask again, why? What happened? Why is it that marriage, which God created for our benefit to be the greatest of all human relationships, often becomes the worst of all human relationships? Why? Why, when, when God made marriage to be lasting and enduring, does so many marriages end up in divorce? And why do so many couples who may never get a divorce end up having so many struggles just getting along with each other? Didn't God create marriage to be a blessing, not a curse? That's what we've been learning in Genesis 2, that God designed and created marriage to be this wonderful experience between a man and a woman. So why are so many marriages in such bad shape, including marriages between Christians? Listen closely. The answer is profound in one sense, but simple in another sense. The answer is this. It's because the Bible doesn't end in Genesis 2. It doesn't end in Genesis 2 with Adam and Eve living happily ever after. That only happens in Disney films. The story of Genesis continues into chapter 3. And it is here in Genesis 3 where Adam and Eve commit the first sin. And because of their disobedience to God, the entire human race falls and is plunged into sin, and as a result, all of their descendants, all of their their children are destined to become rebellious sinners. And now, due to the presence of sin, everything changes, including our marriages. In other words, a perfect paradise no longer exists. Trouble has come to paradise, therefore perfect marriages don't exist either. See, the reason why marriage now is so challenging, and having a healthy relationship with your spouse is so difficult to maintain is because we no longer live in the world of Genesis 2. That was a world of innocence. That was a world of sinless perfection. It's gone. It no longer exists. We lost that world and that innocence when man fell. And now we live in the harsh reality of Genesis 3, as sinners bent on disobeying God and bent on being selfish and living to satisfy our self-centered, self-focused desires. You see, it's sin. Our sin and our spouse's sin, that's what cripples our marriages. So in light of having to live in the harsh reality of Genesis 3 and the fall of man, we, we need to understand exactly what happened to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and how their sin continues to affect us, especially as it relates to our marriage. Because to understand the fall of man is to understand how being a sinner impacts everything, including, and I would say, especially our marriage. So you will never really comprehend the struggles involved in, in being married or any other struggle in life if you don't understand what Genesis 3 teaches concerning the fall of man. In fact, I'll take it a a step further and say that without an understanding of Genesis 3, the, the rest of the Bible makes no sense. And therefore, life makes no sense. It's simply a dark mystery. So this morning, I want us to begin a study 
of Genesis 3 and the fall of man, it'll, like, it'll likely take several weeks to complete, in order to examine the events that surrounded the fall and giving special consideration to how these events continue to impact our married lives. Here's the way the events of man's fall are laid out, how they're presented by God in Genesis 3. First, the Lord tells us about the temptation that led to the fall. Then he tells us about the effects of the fall, the natural effects of being fallen creatures. And finally, we read about the curse that God put on the human race because of the fall. So this morning, I'd like us to begin our study of the fall of man by looking, first of all, at the temptation that led to man's fall. And you'll see, it does definitely impact our marriage. Verse 1 starts out this way. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, let's just stop here. When Genesis chapter 2 ended, everything was wonderful in paradise. Adam and Eve were sinless companions. They had perfect fellowship with God. They had a perfect relationship with each other. Their marriage was satisfying. Their marriage was fulfilling. There were no conflicts between them. But here in the first line of Genesis 3, we're introduced to a situation that frankly, it's going to change everything, not only for Adam and Eve, but for all of us as the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. One of the animals that God created, a snake initiates a conversation with Eve. Now, this is obviously a very strange occurrence because, as we all know, snakes don't talk. But this one did. So what do we know about this snake? Well, we know that this was a real snake. It was not a symbol of evil. And I say that because Moses, who is the human writer of Genesis, describes this snake as a beast of the field which the Lord God had made. That is to say, this is a real creature that God created. He made this snake. So it's not a symbol of evil. Moses also describes this snake as more crafty than any beast of the field. In other words, he's telling us that above all the animals that God created, snakes, serpents were created wiser, shrewder, and cleverer. In fact, the Lord Jesus acknowledged this this to be the case when upon just about uh, the time he sent his disciples out. In fact, he is sending his disciples out in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. He's sending them to a short-term missions trip in the area of Galilee. He, he said to them, behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as serpents. What's more, the snake must have looked very different than snakes look today. And I say that because notice Chapter 3, verse 14, this is after the fall. God is cursing, punishing the snake. And he says in verse 14, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly, you'll go and dust you'll eat all the days of your life. Now, what this tells us is that originally snakes did not crawl on their bellies. Otherwise, otherwise there's no curse. If this is what they were doing before, then there's no curse here. So they did not crawl on their bellies as they do today. It is very probable that in the original creation, God made snakes to be upright animals who are very beautiful creatures. In fact, there are some linguistic scholars today who believe that the Hebrew word for serpent originally meant shining upright creatures. 
Now, for all we know, maybe snakes were originally created with wings and legs and stood face to face with Adam and Eve. We don't know. What we do know is that they didn't crawl on their bellies like they do today. But what about this snake's speech? If literal snakes don't talk, then what's this snake doing speaking to Eve? Well, the reason that this snake had the ability to communicate verbally was because behind this snake and the conversation with Eve that we're about to study was Satan himself. That is to say that Satan indwelt this particular serpent and he spoke through it to Eve. In other words, it was a devil-possessed snake. Satan had entered into the serpent, taken over completely, and was now about to communicate with Eve through him. This is precisely, folks, why the New Testament refers, especially in the book of Revelation, to Satan as the old serpent. It's a reference to here. Genesis 3. Now, without being detoured by going into a detailed study of Satan, I just want you to know a few basic facts, biblical facts about what we know, what the Bible teaches concerning the devil. First of all, according to Ezekiel chapter 28, we know that Satan was originally a beautiful angel created by God as a beautiful angel known as Lucifer. Lucifer means shining one. He is one who originally was shining forth the very glory of his creator, his God. In fact, Lucifer was the highest of all angels, the Bible says. And in Isaiah 14, we learn that one day he rebelled against God by arrogantly demanding to be equal to God. We read in Isaiah 14 that he said in his heart, I will ascend to heaven and make myself like the most high. But it was a failed rebellion because God crushed it and he thrust him down. And now Satan is a fallen angel whom the New Testament refers to as demons. He's one of the, he's the head of the demons and he is the embodiment of evil. No longer is he called Lucifer, the shining one who reflects God's light. Now he's known by such wicked names as Satan, which means adversary. It's also known as the devil, which means accuser, slanderer. And so going back to Genesis 3, we ask this then. So what's Satan doing in the Garden of Eden talking through this snake to Eve? Well, as a fallen angel, Satan is now the avowed enemy of God. He hates everything God loves. He's opposed to everything that God approves of. He resents God. He resents his authority And so he naturally then is going to be in opposition to Adam and Eve as the highest of God's created beings. You see, Adam and Eve are the closest in character to what God is like. Remember, we studied that he created man in his image and in his likeness, which means in personality, man resembles God. And so Satan is about to try to defeat God's plan by tempting Eve to sin and to disobey God. The Lord. So here's the scenario that Genesis 3 presents. Using the form of a beautiful, very clever animal, Satan is about to begin to talk to Eve, and his intention in doing this is to deceive her. That's his motives. Resentment is an incredibly contagious disease. The internet, the news, the talk shows, all over the place. Outrage over everything under the sun has become a new national pastime. But maybe it's not as new of a phenomenon as we might think it is. 
Satan apparently knew which of Eve's buttons to push in order to get her to question God's motives in warning them about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Thanks for tuning in today to Verse by Verse, a Bible class of the air led by Pastor Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you're in or near Clearwater and need a place to worship, I know you'll receive a warm welcome at Lakeside. For service times and directions, call the office at 727-441-1714 or go online to lakesidechapel.com. That phone number again is 727-441-1714. To find out more about Verse by Verse, check out our website, versebyverseradio.org. If you go to the Message Archive page, you can stream or download any of the hundreds of previous broadcasts available there at no charge. There's also a giving page if these programs are blessing you and you'd like to help support this ministry. We're thankful for everyone who gives and everyone who prays for us. We hope, though, that as you support Verse by Verse, you'll remain faithful to your home church. The web address again is versebyverseradio.org. I'm Jerry Peterson. The first command God gave back in the Eden was a really easy one. But they broke it and not only messed up our marriages, it led to a view of God as a sort of a celestial ogre watching over us with a big club just waiting for someone to have fun. And yet, 1 John 5.3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. Join us next time on Verse by Verse, and we'll consider how our view of God affects our marriages. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.